touchdown or turnover. Backed by Alcoa 10, Federal Credit Union, the place where you belong. Better rates and better service. Tennessee, Pitt, Noon. Let's get to Dave Tona, who, who's been waiting patiently. We'll come back and do touchdown turnover. Dave Tona, good morning, sir. Oh, sorry, Swinner. You okay? Weird. That's what I do during your phone calls. Mm. I was thinking the same thing, Daytona. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) Man, I may have to make a trip up to Knoxville, and it ain't going to be to see a football game. We got shade shade over here, too. To pay for my birthday dinner? Sure. (laughs) I'm kidding. I do have a a question for you since since you are a – You have a a, question for me. Yeah, since since you are a a Yenzer and all, and and sometimes you you call in and you you ask us to ask you questions, so sometimes we don't have questions to ask you when you ask us to ask you questions, but here's one for you. Hey, what you doing? Way too much, Ben. (laughs) What you doing, man? What's going on, guys? uh, Does any part of you feel weird about Tennessee playing Pittsburgh this week? Feel weird? No, uh-uh. See, Not at all. You didn't grow uh, up. Uh, I know you like Georgia before you like Tennessee. No, I was I was gonna call you until you just uh, kind of cool your jets with it because that was my team growing up. Oh, and uh, uh, you know, I I was a Pitt fan when Johnny Majors was there. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that whole situation helps itself. Pitt University of Pittsburgh is a very very condensed condensed. Uh, campus so they don't they had they had their own field it was called Fitzgerald Fieldhouse but it was really small so uh uh instead of building another stadium the Steelers gave them the option of of uh leasing leasing their training facility in the stadium you know kind of helps the Steelers out that's that's good to hear right there man Steelers are just such great people Dave Tona Chesney Georgia fan, Tennessee fan, Pitt fan. Come on, um, man. I'm sorry. Somebody was trying to call, so I missed what you guys said. We're just throwing shade at you. I called, I called you Daytona Chesney because you were a Pittsburgh fan, Georgia fan, and Tennessee fan during your life. Just jokes. Just messing with you. Yeah, but, but one thing I don't do. Is... Dave Tony, you, you good? Yeah, I'm here. Uh, for some reason, it's picking picking you up twice. Hmm. I can hear myself talking, and I hear you guys talking. What I previously said. Well, call us back. Call, so, call us back if you need to. Yeah, call us back, Dave Tony. We don't want technical issues. Technical yeah, call us back. Aren't good for anybody. <clears throat> yeah, call us back. Call us back, Dave Tony. We got you, Dave Tony. Call us back. VFL Breeze says, uh, I bookmarked Ben's tweet about Pitt's coach saying, kneeling should not be an issue. Hopefully, I can at Pitt's coach with a quote tweet after the game. <laughs> yes. Yes. Let that petty out. Bring the petty. Yes. <laughs> Brendan Luckett, after Tremel was speeding, I'm sure glad to hear Dave Tona using his blinker. Man, it's loud, ain't it? It's a loud blinker. Make sure, make sure Dave Tone is okay. No, you're fine. Yeah, G Master says, don't let your dog eat pork. You make them very sick. <clears throat> I didn't let him. He stole him. Yeah, he, he, I didn't let him at all. I didn't let him. It was a small, it was a very small piece, but yeah, I didn't let him. He snatched it up. And he went to his crate. He went to his crate. Somebody so. got to go. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't play about that uh, humans' food. That's our food. We pay just, for that. Just eggs, right? Yeah, just eggs. Yeah, but, I, but we pay for that food. Eggs cheap though. But you ain't getting none of this. This is expensive food. You got your dog food. We have our food. So, but I appreciate the uh, advice there from uh, G Messer. All right, who's Daytona's back? Yes. All right, Daytona. You- hey, sorry about that, guys. Uh, I was picking you up twice, so I don't know what happened. But anyway, that's what happened with the situation with Pitt. And uh, 
Yeah, I, I grew up a Pitt fan. A lot, a lot of good players, a lot of history there. You know, Tony Dorsett, Dan Marino, mm-hmm. Larry Fitzgerald, Aaron Donald, Curtis Martin. Uh, but, no, so I, you know, I want Tennessee to win. Uh, I follow Pitt still, but I'm just not, you know, I'm not like I was when I lived up there. Gotcha. But one thing I wanted to comment about is, you know, this isn't, you know, trying to be a jerk or anything, but I, I don't know, man. When I go when I go to rent a car, I ain't getting a 2015 Maxima. <laughs> Daytona, I'm, I was thinking the same thing. Don't they rent, like, new cars? <laughs> hey, man, Shamel might be working with a limited budget. You, you don't know. Well, I mean, that just, I don't know, but I didn't know there was any places that rented older cars like that. I ain't know either, man. Is that the same Tramel that's optimistic? That is the same Tramel. No, 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 no. That no, was, no, no, uh, no, no, no. That's no, no. Devontae. That's Devontae, yeah, my bad. Devontae from oh, Devontae. Alabama. Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. Right. Yeah, Oscar Missy. All right, guys. Well, hey, Swain. Yes, sir. Uh, make sure you get you a couple protein shakes and stuff like that. Keep hydrated. You know, as busy as you are these days, we don't want, uh, we don't want you to exhaust yourself. I'm good, man. I'm good. Okay. It's not hot, so I'm, I'm we good. don't want you cramping up during the show. No, well, that might happen. Jennifer Morris said. Jennifer Morris says, "I uh, enjoyed seeing some of the Swain Event crew last Friday. Hope to do it again soon." Yeah, that was awesome, man. We went to Dead End Barbecue um, Friday after the game for lunch. People that were uh, on their way back home after the game, we had good lunch at Dead End Barbecue. Broke some bread, told some stories. It was good. Touchdown turnover. Nealon hits 95,000 for Saturday's game against Pitt. Touchdown or turnover. 95,000. Touchdown or turnover. I think 95 will be announced. I don't know. I don't know what to think of attendance this weekend. I I could see 97, 98. I I could see 90. I, I just... Really don't have a, a great feel. I do think it'll be much more than 84. I think Tennessee will get over 90. It's just how much do they get over 90. I can see Tennessee announcing 95-ish and it being like 91, 92 in the stadium. Because that's really the number you have to go by is what they announce because no one's going to really know the truth. Yeah. I mean, unless someone is willing to go around and count each person sitting in a seat or standing up, like, who's going to do that? So you really have to go by what's announced. So I'm going to say touchdown. I think we will see 95,000 in attendance. Well, since you sit up there in the luxury box with the president, the chancellor, the AD, you can sit down, and as you look down upon the peasants as is, you can count individually how many people are in the stadium. Are you you going to the – Chris Lowe School of, of old jokes, or have you graduated? No, I haven't been using that joke for seven years now. <laughs> oh, man. No Fear 2-8 says, everyone keeps talking about the Bowling Green game and this team. How do you guys think last year's team would have done against them on Thursday night? Um I don't know. Probably a little worse. Offense would have been. Yeah, I'm, I'm going with you, Ben. Probably a little worse, to be honest. I think the defense would have played a little worse. Yeah. That's a tough question. Um, Big Bad Voodoo Nate says, I'm taking my 11-year-old son to the game Saturday. Johnny Majors is the first coach I remember the Vols uh, having. I plan on showing the boy a great game day experience love it love it love it love it yeah they're on the set of all network uh we were giving like four or five shirts to to give away throw out to the crowd and um i i targeted kids i targeted the kids to throw the shirts to the reason why is because i'm investing into the next generation of all fans that's that is that is that is my 
focus. We got to focus on the next generation of all fans. We can't lose them. So they get all the giveaways. They get all the love. I'm going to get on down there to Dead End Barbecue Friday and say happy birthday to the Kenny's son to make sure that he doesn't end up as a Georgia fan or a Pitt fan like Daytona. I got to make sure we have to preserve Tennessee fandom of our youngsters. That's what you got to do. Swain event fueled by Dead End Barbecue. I'm Vince Moore, wide receiver, VFL 1991, and you're listening to the Swain Event. JC's Tree and Landscaping Service specializes in quality tree work done at an affordable price. Trimming and removing trees are their specialty. They also offer other services like land clearing, stump grinding, crane services, and all of your basic landscaping needs for both commercial and residential. JC's will give you a free estimate and beat any Written quote by a competitor to guarantee that you get the lowest price around. Don't risk your land with a fly-by-night service. JC's Tree and Landscaping is licensed and insured. Give them a call at 865-599-3799. Out-of-town law firms have been swarming into East Tennessee lately. Firms from Memphis, Chattanooga, and Birmingham have stormed into the area. Wouldn't you rather do business with a local law firm? You know, a true neighbor. Marcos Garza and the pros at the Garza Law Firm are just that. They are our neighbors and friends that support local causes year-round. The Garza Law Firm works to serve you professionally on criminal matters, injuries and accident matters, and Social Security and disability filings. The Garza Law Firm is here for you at GarzaLaw.com. The Garza Law Firm, let us help. At Iris Networks, we know that business communication solutions are critical to your success. Since 1998, we've been helping businesses in East Tennessee by providing reliable and affordable high-speed fiber internet and voice solutions. That's why Iris Networks is your Tennessee communications partner. With internet speeds up to 100 gigs and work-from-anywhere solutions like mobile apps, video conferencing, and file sharing, we make sure you can stay connected to your customers and great communities we live and work in. Iris Networks, because just like you, Tennessee is our home. Guys, your health right now is more important than ever. I recommend Low T Center. That's where I get my levels checked. It all starts with the annual wellness exam where they do a comprehensive health assessment exclusively for men, making it quick and easy to take care of your health. And now they offer monitored self-inject at-home testosterone treatment. Most insurance is accepted. Go to LowTCenter.com now to book your appointment and make your health a priority. Low T Center, reinventing men's health care. Around the SCC, Swain Event is fueled by Dead End Barbecue, live here from the Low T Center studio. Ben McKee, Jason Swain. All right, Ben. Ole Miss looked pretty good yesterday. Uh, so apparently Ole Miss has a defense? Yeah, they do got defense now. Ole Miss. Or Louisville's offense is straight up trash. It's I, one I, or the other. I think it's a mixture of both. Yeah, that's what I was about to say. I I think it is a little bit of of both. I, I do think Ole Miss's defense is improved, but how improved? We'll we'll see moving forward because Louisville and Scott Satterfield have not worked out 
well together, which has been surprising. I like Scott Satterfield. Well, he was trying to get up out of there. There's been last a lot year, of drama. Last year, the year before. Both. Yeah. And um, so, I mean, when he first got there, it was it was it was it was a whole lot better. I mean, I felt like they had some momentum. They were playing hard. Uh, they looked coached up, sound. And ever since that, you know, he, he tried to go somewhere and then had to kind of shoot it down and reaffirm his commitment to Louisville. It just hasn't been the same. But last night, man, I don't know what was going on with that Louisville offense. That quarterback, he looked like he played receiver. And he had to move the quarterback because the real quarterback got hurt. Malik Cunningham. I mean, I don't know what he was doing. Yeah, and and to give him a little bit of grace, he didn't have much time to do anything. That that offensive line was just getting wrecked uh-huh. by Ole Miss, but yeah. Ole Miss wins forty three to twenty four last mm-hmm. night. Matt Corral looked great, twenty two of thirty two for three hundred and eighty one yards and one touchdown. Ole Miss did whatever it wanted to do. Yeah. Absolutely, whatever it wanted to do. So uh, I do think Ole Miss's defense is improved, but mm-hmm. I, I'm taking the performance with a grain of salt because Louisville has done nothing under Scott Satterfield. So we'll see coming up what uh, Ole Miss can do defensively. They play Austin P and Tulane the next two weeks. Then they play Alabama. So I, I don't really know when we're going to find out a ton about Ole Miss's defense. It, it probably won't be until October. Because, look, I'm, I'm not holding an Alabama performance against against them. No. So, and then they play Austin P and Tulane before they play Alabama. That, that's not going to be a true move the needle for me unless their defense just reverts back to last year and just allows Austin P or Tulane in the membrane to just go off. But in October, they play Arkansas, Tennessee, LSU, Auburn. We'll find out a lot about Ole Miss's defense that month. Hopefully, when it I, comes to Neyland on October 16th, it reverts back to its old ways. It looks better. I mean, they got some, some transfers in. They got some better players. Uh, their system is a little bit different. I heard them talking about that during the broadcast. Lane um, mentioned it when he was interviewed. Also, through the through some shape, the Big Ten officiated. There were so many targeting calls. So many ejections, man. Uh, he was like, well, I guess we need to get the Big Ten officials to teach us how to tackle because apparently we don't know how to tackle. Yeah, four targeting ejections and such a, a complicated topic because, like, the hit on Matt Corral, did you see that one? I know you said that you went to bed. But Matt Corral was was sliding and a Louisville linebacker, he got hit by two Louisville linebackers at the same time and one was just clear helmet to helmet, clear targeting. I mean, those are the type of hits that should should not be allowed whatsoever. And like those type of hits, I feel like should be ejection worthy. But there are other targeting, like on the kickoff when somebody's going to block, and I mean, it, it's it's simply just kind of how football goes sometimes. I mean, heads helmets are are going to collide. It's it's a part of the game. Those type of just coincidental hits because of the way football is, I mean, those should not result in ejections, in in my opinion. Yeah. I, that This is the one thing I don't miss about college football. I hate about college football is is the ejections when, when it's targeting, man. I mean, these, these young men work so hard, uh, and, and now they have to have a half of the next game or – the rest of the game, where they can't play, they got to basically stand on the sideline and watch while the other teammates are competing and fighting. Uh, I hate that because I don't. I don't think any of those hits look deliberate. Um, I didn't not, like the one on Matt Corral. Yeah, like it's not like they're launching and trying to lead with their head. I mean, golly, the running backs are dropping their head, and so yeah, when they drop their head and you're making a tackle, your helmets are going to hit. I haven't yet to see an offensive player be ejected for using their crown, crown their heads to initiate the contact. Because that's in the rule book, but it's never enforced. And so I just – I mean, I would hate to be a defensive player, to be honest, because um, – How do you tackle? <laughs> I mean, how do you get four in one game, 
But then you look at another game and it's zero. Yeah. Because you, I mean, it's kind of like holding. Like you can call holding every play if you want to. Well, and they were stopping the game last night. It's 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 just not consistent. That's what's so frustrating. Again, like when when Matt Corral just gets absolutely leveled because the the linebacker. I mean, he he was just doing too much. Like that that is ejection worthy in, in my opinion. But these other ones, like on kickoff and running back, running the football, and he lowers his head, so the defender tries to get even lower and lower his head. I mean, are, are we really going to eject kids for that? I mean, just so inconsistent. And and the NCAA needs to find a way to compensate for the offensive player lowering his head like you were talking about. Because what what is the defender supposed to do in that situation? I hate it, man. I hate I, that rule. I, I do as well. A couple other quick notes real quick. Uh, Georgia offensive lineman Tate Ratledge will miss the rest of the season with a foot injury. He only made it through a couple of plays against Clemson on Saturday night before he tapped out. Uh, I believe he was at right guard when he left the game. Uh, Tate Ratledge, former Tennessee target. He is the son of the dad who pulled the power T sticker off the back of his truck. Uh, But he is out for the rest of the season with a foot injury. There was an article I wanted to bring up from Alex Kirshner, who is the co-host of the split zone duo college football podcast and a contributing writer for slate. Uh, He put a, a article together or he built a metric called bash Beaten at Saban's hands. He built this metric to measure how badly Bama has destroyed other SEC programs since 2007. This bash metric, beaten at Saban's hands, says Florida, Tennessee, and Georgia were hurt the worst. And he said the team that was hurt the least might surprise you. And that team is Auburn. Auburn hurt the least by Alabama, by Nick Saban's reign, I should, I should say. Tennessee third, or I guess technically tied for second in this, in this metric. When you look at the record versus Alabama, SEC championships, playoff appearances, uh, Tennessee's average recruiting ranking from 2002 to 2006 – and then 2007 to 2021, post saving. So I thought this was interesting. Not, not we, we are different. That's for sure. Not all, not all that surprising. We, we are different. Um, Th- this, I'm glad you mentioned these it. numbers are horrific. Owen 14. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned it. Yeah. I just it doesn't make me feel any better. I don't care. I just thought it was interesting. Um, That's why I brought it. No, up. it is. Like I, I get it. I get it. Auburn is supposed to be. You know, right there at the top because they've had the most success against Alabama inside of this conference. You know, it's a rivalry game. It's Iron Bowl. So, uh, number one, Auburn, I'm not surprised there. But, you know, the other other teams, that's a that's a good little note. I just hate Alabama so much. It just – it doesn't make me feel good or better about what we've done against them over, over the last decade and a half. Uh, let's get to the phones, and then I want to get to um, – some some comments we heard from Dylan Gabriel about his time uh, being a quarterback of, of this offense, and um, we'll just go over it, put it in our back pocket, but it's worth mentioning, and we'll do that after uh, we chop it up with Turkey Man. Turkey Man, good morning. Hey, good morning, guys. Good morning. Hope you're having, having a good rest of the day, by the way. For sure, we thank you. as normal. Hopefully next time uh, I'll be able to come and, Sit down and eat with you guys when you go dead in. I miss that. Ain't no uh, party like a real dead end party without you, Turkey Man. Well, I enjoy being there. I do. I do. Hey, you know he's talking about talking about the officials, and that's my pet. One of my pet peeves is officials. But I tell you another thing, as far as watching for the fan watching it on TV, is these announcers and. They just absolutely get under my skin because you can be there and, and, and call the game the way it needs to be, but I know that the play on the field sometimes 
dictates what they've got to call. I understand that. And we did not help them in our play pretty much after the first quarter. And, uh, I mean, we had a, we had Nicole Cupola down there trying to pet smoking either on a part of it. And, uh, uh, they was talking about everything on the sun. But really, I guess what got me, I listened and watched some of the Alabama game. And they were promoting this young quarterback. So he's already got this figure, uh, just, just by being the starting quarterback. And it was like a promotion for them through the announcers that's supposed to be, you know, partial. You know, not 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 being net swayed one way or the other, impartial. Uh does that bother you guys any? I haven't heard a broadcast where um I, I felt that way about about the broadcast of Turkey Man. Not yet. Not yet this football season. Did you watch did you watch any of the Alabama game? Or I did. Did you, did you not catch the figure that 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 the quarterback their quarterback was gonna be by by just being a starting quarterback? I mean and he turned down so much I mean the name and likeness. That that doesn't bother me, Turkey Man, just because I mean it, it NIL is a huge conversation and college football right now because of how new it is and, and that is a noteworthy story and, and they're calling an, an Alabama game and the guy that's making that much money is just making Miami look foolish on the field and Bryce Young's balling out on the field and it, it's a relative story to the broadcast in, in my opinion so that doesn't bother me and maybe I, it may be it may be just me but I swear it seems it seems that really dig into my skin a little bit and I maybe feel that way but but uh I just uh, and, and another thing they do. Now you talking about targeting. This is another thing. They will put their input on a call uh when really in terms, a lot of times it, it even it ain't even right. I mean it gets overturned of what they were saying. But they'll put their so much they should have been thrown down for that. Actually, that's targeting. And you go back nine out of ten times, it ain't right. But uh, I don't know. It's just just call the game. I don't care if uh, if uh, if Ben McKee uh, was uh, Jason Swain's roommate. I, you know, I don't really don't care. I want I want to hear I want to hear about how 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 the game's going and and uh, and the X's nose like. Uh, and just call the game, I guess. Like, Turkey man, you triggered. You're, you're triggered this morning, Turkey man. I, I, I really am. I, I I see so much. I see so much of uh, of uh, the sport or the what football's about being taken away. And and here, uh, you know, you have people like well, SEC Network, or I guess it's SEC Network. Yeah. Uh, here we have Paul. Paul Feinbaum. Your boy. Here, yeah, okay. And, and then they had, uh, they had uh, oh, uh, Tebow, which I think Tebow's great. But he's there. And then they had uh, the Vanderbilt quarterback, there, Rogers, trying to trying to tell, show us how to do touch pass and, and how, how to put air into the ball. So, so then he gets Tebow out there because, oh, he, I'm a receiver now. Uh, that's, you know, washed up. So he's trying to slow motion. What you do? Uh, that's foolish. That, that, don't, uh, that don't make sense. I would rather see Swain with a board up there right next to his nose. You know, something along that line. I don't know about that. Yeah, thing. I guess I am. But have a good guy. That's just my two feet tonight. a little bit. I hear that plane. <laughs> <laughs> hey, 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 cut back on it. Drop, drop the nose a little bit. <laughs> See you, Turkey Man. Turkey Man woke up and chose violence today. He, he you get Turkey Man landing that plane. Turkey Man has a back pocket list. Turkey Man's fired up, man. He is triggered. Fired. He's up. triggered this this morning. Um, <laughs> let me just move on. Okay. This is not the first time that we've been down this road where we got a new coach, 
The old coach is the worst person on the earth, and the new coach is the best person on, on the earth. And then the place where the the new coach came from has strong opinions about that coach. We typically have heard negative things about the new coach from the previous destination, previous stop, excuse me. For instance, I remember when Butch Jones was hired, there was an article in USA Today, and it had some not-so-flattering things to say about Butch Jones from people in Cincinnati. And what do you know? It came out to be pretty true, right? We, we took it with a grain of salt at the time. We put it in our back pockets. But it came out to be, all right, pretty spot on. Jerry Pruitt, there's some things said from Aaron Murray and, and folks, uh, some concerns, and it came out to be pretty true. And so you can, you can change. The circumstances um, can be different depending on where you are. You want an example? I got one. Well, Scott Frost. Scott Frost didn't forget how to coach. He just had more success in Central Florida than, he, than he's having right now in Nebraska. Or how about Dave Clawson? Dave Clawson was an offense coordinator here in 2008, and people probably thought that he didn't know anything about football, didn't know anything about offense, but we found out that he does. Harry Heastan, when he was offensive line coach, when Dooley was a head coach, he didn't have much success with the offensive line group. Well, he went on to Notre Dame, and Notre Dame played in the national championship game against Alabama. So... It's about fits, and sometimes it doesn't work here, but it didn't work somewhere else. Well, and I don't know if you can notice this, but Dylan Gabriel does not like Josh Heupel, Central Florida's quarterback. You, it's pretty obvious. Can you, can you not tell that? Uh, based off the article that you sent me, I didn't really. No, I read his first quote of uh, how how Gus Malzahn is different and that. He's never seen anybody be so wired from 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. He keeps going. He can talk all day. He can dissect things. He can memorize a call sheet within seconds. I'm talking about from the moment Josh Heupel took the Tennessee job to this point, there's been things said by Dylan Gabriel. For instance, January 27th, Dylan Gabriel's Instagram story, LOL, no goodbye, not even a phone call, crazy. So like he he's made little comments here and there, and that's fine. That's cool. You don't have to you don't have to like the coach. That's whatever. It is. Does that particular one mean that he doesn't like Heupel, though? He's bothered by what happened. He, yes, he was in his feelings about what happened, and he's also said something else. He says, um, "Best two days since I've been on campus," and this is right around the time Josh Heupel left too. So he's tweeted little things here and there. Mm-hmm. That make you think that that relationship is not warm and fuzzy, and that's like that's okay, cool, whatever. Like I'm not, like I don't, I don't know. I wasn't there, and I'm not under the impression that every player loves their coach. That's that's. This is not like a a cartoon. This is real life. This is college football. So sometimes you don't like your coach and. Based on Dylan Gabriel's comments since Heupel has left, I'm going to say that he has a problem with Josh Heupel. That doesn't mean that Dylan Gabriel is Gabriel is right or wrong or Josh Heupel is right or wrong. I don't know because I don't know the the underlying reason of why that relationship is not where um, where it needs to be. And that doesn't mean that Josh Heupel is not going to have a good relationship with his quarterbacks and players here. It doesn't mean that. But – when talking about Gus Malzahn, recently he talked about the difference in, in offenses. And I just thought that this was noteworthy and it's something that we just kind of put in our back pockets and, and store. And who knows? It may come up if, if Tennessee uh, becomes stagnant, stagnant on offense and predictable and can't move the football and not having success. Or you bring it up if Tennessee is having success in the SEC with this offense. It's just it's good to hear from the past quarterback that played in Heupel's offense what what he thinks about the offense. Well, he wasn't very, very high 
on, on the offense. I, I don't know if this is the part that you're, you're going to get to. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but uh, in this article with Brandon Marcello on 247 Sports, there, there's a chunk of it. Uh, Brandon Marcello followed UCF around during Gus Malzahn's first game week. Uh, so he, he wrote a lengthy, detailed article on, on what that week looked like. And one of the sub-passages is called Simply Complex. And it's it's about the difference in the offense under Hypo and the difference in the offense under Gus now. Uh, and it says that UCF certainly hasn't struggled to score points over the years. But still, something seemed off about the offense last season. Hypo's offense was simple. Line up quickly and try to catch the defense in an improper alignment. Gabriel recalls his performance against Georgia Tech last season, a game he reviewed Thursday morning before kickoff against Boise State. Uh, the, route comps, the route concepts were simple to a fault. He threw only 12-yard fallouts and verticals with maybe one or two out routes, he says. Uh, UCF led the nation with 88 plays per game with the breakneck speed with simple concepts. Malzahn's offense is a bit more complicated, particularly with the audibles and variants of plays from the same formations, though it's definitely not as fast. Uh, Dylan Gabriel said, quote, it's not as fast because of the fact it's not as simple. We get to the line quickly, but there's a lot more in the process that goes into it rather than with hype. We'd line it call it and tried to be as fast as possible at times it was really rushed because of how fast we played so you're just kind of learning on the fly with every play you're just kind of running to grass with Gus I truly feel like we're scheming things up getting into looks you like giving you answers and if he doesn't like the look he checks it which is something I like Uh, UCF's game plans also seemed misguided in 2020 Scouting incorrectly predicted defensive looks in eight of ten games, Gabriel said. It appears UCF succeeded in spite of the plans in scouting. The quarterback became obsessed with his progressions against certain coverages so he could better make decisions after the snap rather than worry about the play calls. Gabriel said, quote, you felt uneasy. Uh, Seven hours before the scheduled season opener against Boise State, Gabriel felt more at ease even in a new offense against a strong opponent. Quote, how do you prepare for a coach that you don't know what he's going to run? I never feel uneasy going into a game, even this first game, just because I know Gus is going to be spot on. This is, and this is rich, right? You know, hearing, hearing this from my perspective, because we have watched Gus Malzahn at Auburn not do a good job of developing quarterbacks. And it's like, it's, it's just really cool to be able to notice the honeymoon phase for both sides. Like there's a honeymoon phase with Dylan Gabriel and his new coach, Gus Malzahn, who he thinks is going to be better for him than Josh Heupel was. Which is baffling. It, it really is. But, the, like, but I want to bring it up because like there's, it's all about perception. Malzahn in his article says you've you've got to build around the strength of your quarterback. This is what he says, and we go back and look at his days at Auburn, and the only time he has success at the quarterback position is with a guy who can't throw. Yeah, he, I, I, Gus saying that is hilarious because Gus has never, ever tailored his offense around the strengths of the quarterback. I mean, he just ha- go look at both has, the last two but he, years. He has. You look at Nick Marshall, look at the success he's had on offense. He has tailored his offense around the quarterback strengths, but he hasn't been good at developing quarterbacks, like making them better. Like he did, can, did he tailor the offense around the quarterback strengths, or did he find a quarterback with the strengths that best suit his offense? Because there's a, a good difference. Point too. That's a good point, Because too. Nick Marshall was a converted defensive back who, who I mean, he, he – I mean, he threw some. He threw a nice deep ball. Yeah, when it was wide open. Yeah. Yes, but other than that, I mean, he. I mean, he's he was the college version of Lamar Jackson. Lamar Jackson, a, a heck of an athlete, heck of a football player, but he's not a passer. 
He's not an efficient passer. That Nick Marshall was not an efficient passer. Auburn did not win games that year or go to the BCS National Championship game against Florida State off of the arm of Nick Marshall. It was off the legs of, of Nick Marshall and, and Trey Mason. I think Cameron Artis Payne was, was the backup uh, for Trey Mason. That's why that offense was successful, not because – and those skills fit Gus's offense perfectly. So I just, I just think it's funny – that the like the new fan base, the new player, when they get a new coach, how they perceive it to be like better. Like think about Washington State when they probably got Jerry Gantano. Think about us when we got Joe Milton and how Michigan fans couldn't wait to crap on Joe. Just like our fans continually stalk, you know, Jerry Gantano um, at, at Washington State. Or how about when Butch Jones was hired by Arkansas State, and I'm pretty sure Arkansas State uh, fans got the press release and they saw a coach that won nine games back-to-back at Tennessee and went to this bowl game, went to that bowl game in Cincinnati. The perception is, oh, my gosh, you're getting this. Well, we look at that and go, oh, man, you're getting that. Good luck. And it's the same thing here. Like Dylan Gabriel is happy about his new coach thinking that – He's going to be better for him than Josh Heupel. When we looking at at Gus Malzahn, and we like, yo, we we watched him at Auburn not develop a quarterback, and Dylan Gabriel's is about to, he's about to he, like, he's downgraded. And then he goes out in the opener and throws two picks, one of which was a, a pick six to to start the game. I don't. It, it's just it's, it's just, just weird to me. There there are some quirks about Heupel's offense that that concern me long-term, because it, it doesn't seem very complex. And not saying that it has to be complex, but we were asked several times over the offseason, is this offense gimmicky? And I, I kind of think Hypo's offense is gimmicky because it's it's all based off of tempo. And, like, who who cares if it's gimmicky if, if it works and it wins? So, like, I, I don't think it's a, necessarily a bad thing if, if, if it is truly gimmicky. But the, the the simple complex nature of of the offense can probably be frustrating at times for for quarterbacks or receivers because it's just the same thing over and over, regardless of what the opponent is doing. Yeah, I don't I don't look at our offense as gimmicky, but I do you know understand why someone would look at our offense as gimmicky. Uh, I believe in doing what works. And I think the reason why someone would look at this offense and say it's gimmicky is like, oh, you, you only do a few things and it's not real complex. Well, what's the difference between that and football in the 70s and the 80s when you watch Oklahoma football and they're running wing T and, and they do the same thing over and over and over? When you look at high school coaches that were successful in the 70s, 80s, and 90s, and all they did was wing T. And you knew what they were going to do. You just couldn't stop it. Oh, what about Nebraska when Scott Frost was a, was a quarterback? Was that offense gimmicky? So, yeah, like you don't need a complex playbook. Like I remember having a huge playbook with a ton of plays for three years at Tennessee, and then Coach Cut comes in, splits it in half, and they were, we were more off, uh, efficient on offense. So it doesn't really matter – if Heupel doesn't have a ton of plays or not, what matters is, is, do you execute? And that was a problem in the first game. You had guys making incorrect reads on the run uh, at wide receiver. You had a quarterback not being accurate with the football, not reading, uh, going through his progressions good enough. That's what it really comes down to. It doesn't matter how many plays you have. It matters how well you execute the few plays that you do run. What concerns me is just trying to fit uh, a square peg into a round hole. What do you mean? Just like I, I agree with with what all you are saying, but there there are going to be times if if Josh Heupel is here, say four years at minimum. There there are going to be times over the course of those four seasons in which a defense is going to just be able to sniff out what Josh Heupel is doing and be able to to stop the offense regardless of the tempo. Regardless of the tempo, if the defense knows what few plays are coming and, and are prepared for it, then it's essentially Tennessee trying to, to 
fit a square peg into a round hole. Yeah, you gotta and, have some. That, you gotta you gotta have some type of element of surprise. Exactly, yeah. and that that's what concerns me. Like like they're gonna have to be as Vaughn Birmingham just said the the for him to succeed, there, there's gonna be have to gonna have to be some form of evolution because Gus was super successful at the beginning of his Auburn tenure because there was an element of surprise. It kept the defense off balance, and and the the defense could not account for what Gus was was trying to do with the tempo, and then defenses figured Gus out and look at the tail end, the last three to four years of, of Gus's tenure on offense, and it, and it wasn't near the same. Really, really from that season of Jeremy Johnson going from Heisman hopeful in the preseason mm. to being benched, really from that season to now, defenses figured out Gus and what he was trying to do, and Gus never evolved. That, that was the knock on, on Gus. You hear the SEC Network analysts talk, the, the Jesse Palmers, the Jordan Rodgers, Cole Kubix, Greg McElroy's, Tim Tebow, so on and so forth. They, they all talk about Gus not evolving once people figured him out. And, like, yes, that can be their observation as well, but those SEC Network analysts are speaking to different defensive coaches in the league. And those those coaches, they, they talk. They sing like a bird. They, they love to, to, to talk about other coaches in the league. So that that's my thought process of kind of my concern going into the Josh Heupel era is will he try to to fit this offense that's, that's like a square peg into a round hole, continue to try to do that, or will he evolve? I'll tell you what my concern is. I'm looking at all of the drives from the first game. All of all of the drives. And this is what's going to get Tennessee in trouble with this Josh Heupel offense. If it gets in trouble. Because I see the advantages of it. I see the benefits. Football's a game of of inches. And the tempo that you have, if it creates a situation where a defensive player is misaligned by an inch, it can be the difference between a touchdown and a tackle. I got an example for you. I'm going to show my work. The few explosive plays that Bowling Green had, what routes were they, Ben? Do you remember? Not at the top of my head. They're like they're wheel, wheel routes. It's just simple, yeah, wheel routes. Wheel routes. routes. They were, they were, it wasn't like they lined up and just ran a route and just beat us. It was some type of crossing route, some type of pick play, some type of confusion. Um, well, the reason why Bowling Green was successful on those wheel routes is because we were out of position. You took a bad angle. If you're lined up incorrectly because you don't have time to line up right, it could be the difference between being in the wrong spot. Being misaligned, not having your leverage. That's the, the pressure that Josh Heupel's offense can put on the defense. But there's a weakness. Just like with any scheme, you have a strength of that scheme, you have a weakness. And basketball, defensively, if you run 2-3 zone, it's great if a team can't shoot, but you leave the middle open. You leave certain areas of the zone open. And back to the football field, and cover two, yeah, it's great if you have four guys up front that can create pressure. It's great for stopping, you know, major plays because you got four guys in coverage, but there's holes in the cover too in the middle of the football field. So every scheme has a strength. It has a weakness. Well, Josh Heupel's scheme offensively, here's the weakness that I noticed in the first game that they got to make sure they protect. You got to protect your weakness. You got to play to your strength and hide your weakness. And here's the weakness that I saw against Bowling Green that can get Tennessee in trouble. On the plays where Tennessee punted the football, the first punt, the first drive, it's in the first quarter. 
Tennessee had a drive of eight plays. And Tennessee possessed the football for three minutes and 57 seconds. Which seems like a long time when I compare it to the other drives. Here's the next punt. It was a three and out. We threw the ball to Jalen Hyatt on first down, incomplete. Then we ran the football with Tyon Evans, zero gain. Now it's third and ten. And Joe Milton ran for five yards, and it became fourth and five. Time of possession on that drive was a minute and 16 seconds. Three and out, a minute and 16 seconds. That's what concerns me. So we come back on our next possession. And our next possession, we ran four plays because we went forward on fourth down and didn't get it. And that possession was a minute and ten. So we had seven plays, two possessions, and didn't even take off two and a half minutes of the clock. That's the weakness of, of this offense. And Heupel knows that, which is why first down is so important. It's why I thought the first play of the game would be a run. And it was. It was a run. Because you can run the football, gain some yards, get up quick, fast, in a hurry, give the ball to the referee, and it starts the offense. It starts the tempo. It starts the engine. But when you throw an incomplete pass, it slows everything down. And then if you are unsuccessful on second down, now you put yourself in a real bad bind on third down, third down along. And if you got a punt, we're talking like a minute to a minute and a half going off the clock. And that's what's going to get Tennessee's offense in trouble. Mm-hmm. That's, that's the biggest concern for me with this offense. Now, you know your weakness. You try to protect your weakness by getting on schedule, having successful plays on first down. If I'm the defense, first down is the key. Just like when we played Auburn, that was the key. We played Auburn enough times when Gus Malzahn was either the offense coordinator or or the head coach to know that first down is the key. It's what starts their engine. It's the same thing with us. So we got to be more successful on first down. um, And it can't always be a run. Because then you'll be predictable. you got to complete the ball. So I think we'll see more short passes on first down, not just bubble screens, but some intermediate routes and some quick game on first down to get the ball moving, get the chains moving a little bit, so that way it can ignite the offense, start the engine. But you can't have six plays, no, excuse me, three plays, only taking off a minute of the clock. That's going to get you in trouble because now you put the defense in a, in a bad spot. And that's something we talked about all summer of what could potentially happen. We just saw it Thursday. All right, we'll get to the phones after these quick messages. Swain Event, Fuel by Dead End Barbecue.